0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you breaking news, stories and expert insight and analysis into all the major stories and the biggest clubs in football. Joined today on our Friday edition by the uh, transfer guru that is Duncan Castle's. But very, very excited to welcome a new guest, a very, very old friend, and the man who's been described as the Gary Lineker of Italian football broadcasting. On well, right, you know, uh, Mister Aurelio Capaldi. Aurelio, Hello.
1: benvenuto, fratello. <laughs> <laughs> Grazie. Hello. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now we've got we've got news, news, news for you today, guys, because um, lots of stories breaking around Europe, and uh, there's a big reason why we have the doyen of Italian broadcasting joining us. Of course, that's because there's a lot of movement in terms of managers and players in Serie A. However, we must turn our attention, first of all, to one of the potential big, big stories of the summer, something that Duncan Castle's broke uh, in a story he wrote for the record this week, and that is on Neymar and a potential move away from Paris Saint-Germain. Duncan, can you update us, please, on what's happening?
2: Yes, um, there are... Two major options for Neymar um, and two options we've been aware of for a long time. He wants to go back to Spain. He's been agitating for that move back to Spain essentially since he joined Paris Saint-Germain. Um, Real Madrid, we've seen on multiple occasions, Florentino Perez uh, trying to seduce him back to a club that he, he tried to sign him for before he ever moved to Barcelona and came to European football for the first time. And Barcelona also... Um, of interest to in Neymar to move back to. What I wrote um, earlier this week was that Barcelona have entered negotiations with Paris Saint-Germain um, to try and convince them to allow Neymar to come back to them. They are offering players in exchange. They're prepared to let Wislman Dembele or Philippe Coutinho be part of the, that deal. Two players that they um, they want to. They've placed on the market anyway separately and interesting two players that they bought as replacements for Neymar. Um, Madrid have not made a move as yet, but I think Madrid become very viable in this because Florentino Perez has been so desperate to sign Neymar for so long and seeing that that, uh, Barcelona are now acting on this, um, he may be tempted Come into um, the transaction. What What's important here is that Qatar has blocked a move for Neymar um, since he moved to the club. What I'm hearing from the Qatar end is that their um, stance on this has changed. They've looked at what's happened with Neymar over these two years. They've looked at the consistent problems they've had with him. The coaches have had with him. Um, they have seen the development of Kylian Mbappe uh, over, overhauling Neymar as the most important player in the team and the biggest star. And they're now, I'm told, prepared to make the calculation that no one player is more important than the team. And should they get the right offer for him this summer, they're prepared to sell. So that's, that's a, a fundamental change in stance which opens this out for Barcelona For Real Madrid, um, potentially even if one of the other superpowers in European football decided to get involved to actually do this transaction this summer.
0: Aurelio, if you were the coach or indeed the president of Barcelona or Real Madrid, would you think that Neymar was good value for money given his form, his injury worries and general demeanour over the last season or so?
1: Um, I don't think so. Uh, I think that... uh, there were too many problems uh, with Neymar. I mean, uh, it costs a lot of money, but uh, in the end, um, he was not uh, performing and he was not giving uh, what people expected him to give. His talent is phenomenal, no doubts about it, but then too many problems with his injuries and also uh, with um, uh, his behaviour uh, off the field. Duncan, what do you think is the likelihood of PSG
0: being able to find a buyer for Neymar? Because we're talking about a 200 million euro transfer fee that was paid originally, and uh, I think around 500,000 euros per week salary. Obviously, Neymar and his dad, who's his agent, are not going to be happy with anything less in terms of his personal terms. Do you think there's a realistic chance? that Barcelona-Real Madrid are willing to take a chance on
2: that. I think it's very realistic, and that's, that's what's coming out of Barcelona. As I said, both sides have been aware that Neymar, Neymar's been driving this. Neymar and his father have been driving this through the season. They've, they've been pushing Madrid and Barcelona and saying, we think we can get out of Paris this summer. Um, get in action. Make offers to Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and I, I think if I'm on Madrid or Barcelona's side, I would, I'd be using that in discussions with the player himself and saying, well, you want to get out of here, out of that club, you want to come back to Spain. Don't expect to pay rise. Um, maybe even have to compromise somewhat in your financial terms. It, it, the, the key element has always been getting Qatar to, to back off on on their their biggest statement signing. Um, the the world record transfer and and have the getting over the pride of Qatar to say we're not going to allow the player to leave and and that seems to be the difference this summer is that Qatar have tired of Neymar's antics Um, I've seen that he's not fundamental to them from a football perspective and are now prepared to consider a sale if the numbers are right or if the um, if the players offered to them are right. And, and remember, Dembele and Coutinho are both players that ESG tried to sign themselves. So they're, they're good figures to offer um, to Qatar as part of uh, a deal. And from a footballing perspective, it makes sense. Charles um, Clangerman don't need Neymar and Kylian Mbappé in the attack. They can have a more rounded squad by taking the, the money they spent on on wages for Neymar and and getting as much back of a transfer fee as possible and reinvesting it in other areas of the team where they badly need players um, such as midfield potentially a new goalkeeper we know there's interest strong interest from them in David De Gea and David De Gea is effectively on the market this summer so so from, from a football point of view this is a sensible move for them take the money while it's there
0: um, interesting that PSG are finally coming around to the uh, sort of real politic of football in that um, all the big names don't necessarily make for big results. And so from there, though, Duncan, to a intriguing uh, meeting between <coughs> the chief executives of Benfica and Manchester City this week regarding possible transfer dealings in those two clubs.
2: Yes, there was a meeting yesterday um, in the Bulgari Hotel in London uh, between uh, Ferran Soriano, Chief Executive of Manchester City, uh, Luis Felipe Tierra, the President of Benfica, and George Mendes, who represents John Felix, um, Benfica's youngest, uh, biggest star player that. Um, is available on the market, who all the top clubs in Europe are looking at. We told you in the transfer window some time ago that uh, Manchester City see him as a potential replacement for Leroy Zani, who's in talks with Bayern Munich. I'm um, told the discussions were around Jean-Philippe yesterday. Um, I was told also that a deal has not been concluded. It was more a discussion of, of term um, and uh, how, how that transfer could be put in place. I think there's a possibility that other players were discussed here because um, I know that uh, Manchester City are interested in Florentino Luis, um, a young defensive midfielder who broke into the Benfica first team around the same time as John Felix um, and is very highly regarded by Pep Guardiola, um, a very much a Guardiola type player. Um, and someone who you could see as a replacement for Fernandinho in the longer term, although perhaps a little early to be signing him this summer Um, but when you've got uh, the chief executive of Manchester City, the president of Benfica and the agent of um, one of the top players uh, at Benfica in a room together, that tells you that there's very serious business going on between the clubs and we can expect uh, something to develop there um, through the summer.
0: As ever, the transfer window has taken you in the first few minutes of this podcast from the uh, c- secret halls of conversation uh, in London via Paris and now to Turin and Aurelio. Um, we saw Murcio Sari win the first trophy of his 29-year career in Baku on Wednesday night when uh, Chelsea lifted the Europa League title. Uh, Lots of links regarding him to Juventus. Can you please update us on what what that is and um, what might be happening in the next few days?
1: Yeah, options are very open for him. Um, Maurizio Sarri was the man who had uh, won nothing before uh, the Europa League final. Uh, But now things uh, are different. Um, Juventus showed interest, but in Italy there are still many people not convinced is going to to Juventus. But um, after the final, Maurizio Sarri said uh, this victory is for um, Napoli fans, and uh, so everybody was surprised because for a man who is about That's to so go odd, to Juventus, isn't it, yeah, it's
0: odd for someone to, to to you know dedicate a victory for Chelsea to Napoli fans.
1: Yes, and also. And also it was surprising because there is a huge rivalry between Napoli and Juventus in Italy. So if you are about to be appointed as the next Juventus manager, that's surprising. But he also said this profession can bring you everywhere. So the option is open, but um, it, it must be discussed. It remains to be seen what happens between Surrey and Chelsea and uh, how the, the dialogue goes. Uh, he knows that this is the most important time of his career. He was waiting for this and now he wants to, to make the most of it. Uh, but in the end, mm, everybody in Italy, uh, lots of people in Italy think that, uh, uh, the profile of Sarri is very different from the usual profile of a Juventus manager. Uh, Juventus manager usually is a man who wears jacket and tie. Uh, who speaks in a different way, who has, uh, different views. So everybody, uh, was a bit shocked. Uh, and also there are some people still talking about Guardiola in Italy, but that is a story, uh, that, um, has not found, uh, confirmation, not for, uh, for this season.
0: Do you think he, that Sari would be a, Effectively, a, a sort of proxy appointment, Aurelio, for maybe a year or until Guardiola might become available?
1: Um, this is something that um, some people believe is possible because um, Massimiliano Allegri uh, won a lot uh, in Italy. I mean, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't manage to bring a Champions League in Turin. But uh, in the end, you cannot say that uh, he didn't win trophies. Uh, the reason why Juventus got rid of him uh, is that uh, they won Champions League, yes, but they also uh, want a different style of play. Uh, in, in particular, in uh, particular, Medved uh, was uh, was going to, to push for it. He wants to see a different style. Uh, and Maurizio Sarri has a different vision. Uh, So, that is a possibility. Uh, But, um, I mean, uh, it would be surprising uh, to appoint a manager only for one year or two years uh, waiting for Guardiola to come.
0: What chance, Aurelio, of Maurizio Pochettino ending up at Juventus for next season?
1: I think that uh, there are still some chances um, because uh, Juventus like him and uh, they also know that... um, Pochettino uh, is also uh, a Juventus fan because when he was uh, when he was a, a boy, he brought up in Argentina with his uh, Italian grandparents, and uh, his Italian grandparents uh, were Juventus fans. So uh, he, he always liked the club, and uh, Juventus uh, liked his profile is uh, doing so well. So, um, I think that um, if there is not uh, a problem with the clause, uh, they, they will try, they will try to sign. In. They will try everything they can uh, before giving it up.
0: So, from the, um, the possibility of UV's next coach to the fact that Antonio Conte has been appointed uh, as Internazionale Milan next manager. Interesting, of course, because Conte was associated not just as a manager, but as a player with Juventus. And, um, Duncan, it was you who told us that Jose Mourinho was not being considered for the UV job because, quotes, he could not walk the streets of Turin. And yet Conte is allowed to make the opposite journey with seamlessness, apparently. So, um, how does this work out? And, and indeed, what's Conte going to do at Inter, uh, in order to improve their status? Because clearly they've been a club who have not performed well. In the last three years.
2: Well, I mean, I think Aurelio can can go into the details of why why Conte is acceptable at Inter. He's better placed than that as so a Milan uh, resident uh, than uh, to talk about it than I am. But but I, I guess from from my perspective, it would be the, the relative positions of the club. I mean, Juventus have won title after title. Are are you know trying to put that final. Um, piece in place to win the Champions League whereas Inter are trying to get back uh to the top of Serie A trying to uh, dispossess Juventus um the pressures on them are are much greater and therefore you can take uh you can take bigger risks with managers um in a situation like that because the fans are more desperate that would be my my perspective on it obviously there's a there's a major factor here in that um Pepe Marotta uh, is the uh, in charge of the technical decisions at Inter now, um, having previously been at Juventus. When Inter's owners brought him to the club, they, I'm told, gave him assurances that he would be allowed to appoint the next manager. Antonio Conte is very much his man. Um, there was the possibility of pursuing Jose Mourinho, Um I know Jose Mourinho was interested in that job, wanted to assess whether it would be a good place for him to go uh, because he knew the the, the resources required um, to take Juventus on, that um, the owners of the club were interested in the idea of bringing uh, Mourinho back because um, a hugely populist decision with the fans. But ultimately... Um, Marotta prevailed there and, uh, and got to, to put his man in charge. Uh, and now Marotta and Conte will um, direct the transfer activity. And um, obviously, that has relevance to England um, in that one of the players that Antonio Conte has tried to uh, sign for many years, um, including at his time at Chelsea, is Romelu Lukaku. Um, he shares an agent with Romelu Lukaku now. Uh, Lukaku has made it quite clear that he is open to leaving Manchester United. Um, he's talked about wanting to play in Syria. Um, so, and Inter now have their Champions League qualification, so they have the money, additional money available from that to be able to uh, to get involved in dealing with Manchester United. Who, again, I'm told, are um, it's not that they placed the player on the market; it's not that they've told him he can leave but they are open to selling uh, Lukaku if the right money comes in. Um, and Lukaku is open to that move because he knows he's not Solskjaer's first choice for the position, despite being their highest scorer at Manchester United in terms of non-penalty goals in both his seasons at the club. So he's he's performed uh, well, I think he's actually improved significantly as a footballer since his time at Everton. He's a much more rounded player who who uh, who's a, who involves teammates more. Is not uh, not as selfish as he used to be. Um, can create goals from the flanks, um, and it would be interesting uh, to see how he does. But let's let's see what Aurelio's view is of that that move and of of Antonio Conte's um, arrival at Inter.
0: So really, what's your, what's your view then regarding the chances of Lukaku moving? We know he's on a very big deal uh, at United um, in excess of £250,000 per week. Uh, will he have to accept a pay cut to come to Inter or is it just the case that he wants to play football and Conte is the man to help him to improve his career?
1: Uh, Conte is pushing the move because uh, he likes him a lot. And uh, he has already got that uh, uh, he could get Jacko um, uh, from Roma. Uh, the deal is almost done. Uh, so he wants to play Jacko, Lautaro, Martinez up front, and he would like also uh, to get uh, Lukaku. That's uh, a lot.
0: Of, that's a lot of firepower, really. How's he going to fit them all in?
1: <laughs> that's a lot, but uh, uh, he wants physical strikers. He wants physical strikers, and uh, he knows that um, Lukaku is not easy to get, so he's pushing a lot for for Dzeko, uh for the deal to be completed. And uh, yeah, Dakan is absolutely right. The reason, the main reason why Conte was appointed as Inter Milan manager is uh, Marotta. Marotta uh, wanted uh, a man that he knows, because most of the Inter fans would have loved. To um, see um, Jose Mourinho back again in Milan, and they, they were convinced uh, it would bring Inter to success again. So, um, Conte, Conte is backed uh, by Marotta and now is trying to, to get a good market. How
0: else? Um, I mean, I, what I don't understand, and I, that was a question I posed originally, is why could Mourinho uh, not be? considered for Juventus when Conte has been welcomed at Inter? Is it because simply he's Italian and he managed the national team as an easier switch of manager and Mourinho is someone who is seen as the enemy of Juventus?
1: Um, As you know, in Italy the rivalry between Juventus and Inter is very, very strong. And um, yes, uh, Conte is seen uh, as a Juventus man and in the end, uh, it will be results to decide. Um, Marcello Lippi, for example, uh, was appointed uh, about twenty years ago as an Inter Milan manager after winning everything with Juventus. And things didn't go well. And uh, when things uh, don't go well, of course, fans are ready to remind you your past. So um, it will be results. Results will uh, will be very important for Conte because uh some Inter fans still don't accept uh his past at Juve and he's seen as a Juventus man. Um Jose Mourinho uh, mm. is a is a symbol for uh, for Inter fans and uh, he also has an excellent C V and um the memories are fantastic. That's why uh Inter fans would have loved uh to have seen him back. And um, same thing for, for for Juventus fans. I mean, they they see Mourinho as the as the symbol of Inter, and uh, and so it would have been difficult for him.
0: Well, I suspect that some others will be getting his CV in there somewhere in the next few months. There, that guys. Um, Aurelio, I'm intrigued and also uh, very very enthusiastic to hear your um, views on Atalanta who have qualified for the Champions League for the first time in their history. And um, we've already seen that a very successful Ajax squad in the Champions League this year is being dismantled uh, by transfers to bigger clubs. Do you think there's interest in the Premier League for Atalanta players? Or do you think they can hold their their squad together?
1: Um, I think that um, there were discussions in the previous days between uh Atalanta chairman Percassi and Atalanta manager Gasperini because Gasperini was supposed to go to Roma and uh, the deal was almost done but in the end Percassi uh persuaded him to stay and the reason is that he promised him he would keep most of the sport uh so so Atalanta uh, want to bring the best players in to play um a good Champions League it's the first time in history as you said and uh, they want to make the most of it.
0: The weekend happening at the Wanda Metropolitano in Madrid, where, uh, Aurelio, you, you find yourself uh, as um Rayun, who's a very um, esteemed correspondent uh, on the ground there in Madrid, happening tomorrow night between um, a couple of rivals called Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Duncan, we have not really addressed this uh, so far this week in the podcast. However, I am kind of curious to find out what you think with regards to what the build-up's been and also team selection potential as well as, you know, how is this one going to work out? Because, as we know, games between two English clubs and Champions League final, if we go back to 2008 in Moscow with uh, Manchester United and Chelsea, it was a bit of a boring game. Uh, both teams not wanting to lose and, of course, ended up in a penalty shootout. So, What's your view on um, how things have gone so far this week? Obviously, a, a very different um, a way of uh, going about it in terms of the fact that Tottenham have been in Madrid for three days already. Liverpool don't even fly out until Friday afternoon. So, um, how are things in terms of preparation, in terms of the way that the teams are setting themselves out? What do you reckon is um, what's going to happen?
2: Yeah, you know, Ian, um, it is a very strange Champions League final in the sense that uh, the teams have had almost three weeks to wait for this game um, uh, because the Premier League ended so much earlier than, than some of the other continental leagues um, that could be a good thing and it allows you to rehabilitate your players and obviously Tottenham have a decision to make over whether they, they start or play Harry Kane in, in the final um, whether the Harry Kane team uh, decides to use Harry Kane for the for the biggest match in their in their history, um, and it, it, I guess it gives Tottenham. I think something that's kind of gone under the radar with Tottenham is they've been on a horrendous uh, run of form. I mean, the last eight games, they've won just twice. Uh, one of those that uh, extremely fortunate sort of route one football. Uh, victory over Ajax in the Champions League semi-final, and the other one, a very marginal win over Brighton, who were fighting for their their Premier League survival. They last won away from home in March, so um, they they certainly needed to reset. <laughs> Everyone wants to know: Is Hurricane going to be
0: fit? Is he going to score? So let's 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 face it: uh, They don't have a practice match. They may well have played for Liverpool up front. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Look, I I think you're right. I think the the All-English final is a strange um, scenario. I mean, I was at the game in Moscow, um, the the last All-English final between Chelsea and Manchester United. I think um, when you see English teams play each other in the Champions League in knockout matches, you get a completely different dynamic because you have the away goals rule in play. And and it's always an interesting game. and always has a different feel from... um, from a standard Premier League game because of that. This one, I'm not so sure. Um, I think it might be more like a standard Premier League game in the, in the sense of the way the teams approach it. Um, it is, there's no away goals there. Um, the two team Liverpool won both matches uh, this season, um, 2-1, but we're extremely, extremely fortunate um, in the, the the second of those games at Anfield. Uh, when they won with a with a you know bizarre goalkeeping error own goal from Toby Alderweireld in the last minute in a match that they could easily have been uh, two one beat two one down at that stage, um, so the tactical options from Pochettino will be interesting. He's a guy who changes his setup regularly, um, changes uh, uh, formation, changes the way he presses opponents. Um, doesn't always make the right decisions, but it's quite often. Um, capable of changing them in game, and and, and getting a, a different uh, effect during the game. Um, Klopp, I think we pretty much know. I'd be very surprised if Klopp puts anything un- unusual into his uh, his setup. It'll be trust <coughs> the way they played for the season, trust the players he's, he, he's preferred for the season, and um, and expect to win. I mean he's talked about. Um, he said, I've never been part of a final with a better team than this. So he's kind of put the pressure on himself as a man who's, uh, who's lost six consecutive finals um, to, to deliver this time. And uh, I think if he doesn't deliver this time, it will be a major uh, black mark for him because it's clear that uh, he has the better players um, and, and a team in better form uh, going into this game. Aurelio, it's fair to say that you're something of a Champions League
0: final celebrity having attended, I think, probably around 22 Champions League finals <laughs> in, in consecutive years, uh, even more than Duncan and I. Um, <laughs> what, you, you're, on, you're on the, the ground in Madrid today. Um, what's the feeling there in Madrid? Is it different to be involved in an All-English final from what we usually expect, which is, of course, two teams from competing nations uh, in the Champions League final?
1: Yeah, first of all, it's very surprising here in Madrid, that uh, uh, Madrid teams are not involved, you know, because in 2014 and in 2016, <laughs> they were both in the final. Now we are in Madrid and uh, Real Madrid and Atletico uh, are out. Um, it's surprising. But uh, anyway, I think that uh, this time uh, for Klopp, uh, it will be super important because, as Duncan said, now it's time to deliver. And uh, it's an amazing chance for him. Uh, Liverpool, I think that Liverpool has something more. And uh, also European experience uh, is going to play a part now. So it's very open. I think it will be um, a very, very interesting game with uh, lots of adrenaline. And uh, this time, I think Jurgen Klopp has a, a great chance.
0: Is there a chance, Aurelio, that... Um Tottenham will try to bully Liverpool in the way that Real Madrid did in last year's final in Kiev?
1: Um, I think that uh, Tottenham uh, is going to play a tactical game. I think Pochettino will have a a clear tactical plan and uh, he will try to reduce the the Liverpool options. I think that uh, Liverpool... Are not going to speculate. They're going to uh, to play their football, and um, I think it's very open. But Liverpool, as I said, has something more. Aurelio, Aurelio what what's the uh, what's the view in Italy of an all
2: English final? Because uh, there's been a kind of celebration in England of, of the of the fact that all four finalists of the European uh, the two European cups. Uh, were English clubs this season and I kind of claim that this is a, a start of a new era, era of dominance of, of English clubs in, in European football. How is that perceived from, from Syria and from Italy?
1: The analysis uh, about this were all about money. I mean, uh, uh, everybody was uh, was talking about uh, the the fantastic money that uh, Premier League uh, produces and, uh, and so Premier League... Uh, often gets the best players and uh, these are the, the results. And do you see it continue Do they, do people see it continuing in Italy? Do they see it as, uh,
2: as the expectation that this will be English finalist after English finalist going
1: forward? Or do they see it as an, an aberrant year? No, uh, it will be maybe not so dominant uh, every season, but uh, uh, it is going to be something uh, which is going to happen uh, often. I mean, uh, maybe not every year two English teams in the Champions League Cup final or in the Europa Europe uh, Cup final, but uh, uh, English teams are, are going to um, to perform uh, at the highest level.
0: Duncan, what do Liverpool need to do to break through this? Um Cycle of defeat in this particular game—a game which they have been involved in, but not once since two thousand five. What is it they need to do? Is it mental or is it purely tactical? Um, What does Klopp need to do with his team to get them to win this final?
2: I think when I think there is a mental side for Jurgen Klopp here. I think when you have a track record of six consecutive defeats in finals you're going to question yourself to a certain extent. Um it's a good piece by our friend um Rafi Honigstein about Jürgen Klopp's um six final defeats um this week and he kind of analysed them to to break them down and as to whether he they, they deserve to lose those games. And essentially you come to the conclusion there was only one game where he was properly unlucky and which was uh a German Cup final against uh, Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich just after I think Madrid had had destroyed um, Bayern in the Champions League semi-final and and Bayern were a mess and uh, Dortmund actually scored a goal that went over the line but was disallowed so it was pre-goal line technology in in Germany so that game he clearly should have won but if the rest of them essentially shouldn't have and quite often came down to uh, mistakes he made um, I think yes, there will also be uh, a mental element for the players. Um, uh, they, you know, that they, they took the Premier League to the wire, and I think Klopp handled them very cleverly there, in the in the sense that once they had uh, handed over their big advantage in the Premier League, um, and Manchester City took took the advantage in terms of potential points um, that they could. Uh, grab if they won all the games Klopp said to them um, look it doesn't matter if you don't win this title, I just want you to do the maximum you can um, so if you win every match that you can then you'll have done everything that's in your ability and if they happen to get more points um, then they win the title uh, I think that was very clever management and getting the maximum from his team but it was from a chasing a pursuer's position um, and when you're at a club which has such a long history of failing, you know, they're going into their third decade without um, an English uh, title um, and they, they barely won um, a cup in the last 15 years. Um, when you're at a club with that weight of expectation on them and then suddenly you're in a final where you are the favourites, where you've clearly been the better of the two teams um, going into that match. I think that that does change the dynamic um, and it will be interesting to see how these Liverpool players respond to it um, and and whether Klopp can get the maximum from them in the final. But it, I, And if he doesn't, as I say, you, you ask big questions about him. Um, is, he, is he really a winner um, for all the good work he's done at the club? If he can't get a team which is so much better than his opponents over the line in a game like this, um, does he have that final element that the very best managers have to have?
0: Well, as is befitting of the most important game in European club football, um, we have experienced, certainly last year, um, the fact that one player has had more influence on the outcome than any other. Um, for that reason, the man of the match was Gareth Bale in the final of Real Madrid Liverpool last year. Uh Many people will say that Loris Karius also had a very important influence on that game, although not necessarily positive. So our legendary quickfire round for this Friday's edition of the podcast. I'm going to ask Duncan and Aurelio which player they believe is the potential match winner on either side. But I'm going to make it harder uh, than just that because I'm going to give them each a team. Uh So Duncan, I'm going to ask you to go first and tell me who is Tottenham's potential match winner for Saturday night's game in Madrid?
2: <laughs> I was thinking Liverpool players um, going into this. and That's I was why gonna, I made it hard for you. I was going to pick Fabinho um, I, as, the, as the most important Liverpool player because I think when he operates at his best in midfield, he adds another dimension to Liverpool. For Tottenham, um, the nature of this game, the, the, the strength of Liverpool's attack um, I think they need a really good game from Hugo Lloris. I think um, Lloris has to be at, you know, his World Cup winning level um, to stop the Liverpool attack because they will have chances and, and they will put shots in and goal. So I think Lloris is going to be important here.
0: Aurelio, I'm handing you the easier task. Apparently, as Duncan has just made out, for Liverpool, who is the potential match winner or most influential player? I say two:
1: Alisson and Salah. The reasons is that um uh Alison will have to make the most of it because he he already showed uh what a fantastic and amazing player he is. He really makes the difference um uh, uh most of the times and uh, for Salah it is the time to show that uh is uh, uh, the man to make the difference also in the very big nights.
0: So I'm not going to let you either of you go without giving us a prediction for the game itself. That would be silly if I did. So, um, uh, Duncan, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, what is the score going to be? How is this game going to work out?
2: Uh, I will give you a prediction of 2-1 to Liverpool in extra time. Oh,
0: very precise. Well, I'm not sure what the odds are on that, but I'm sure John McFarland will tell us. Uh, Aurelio, and you? I would say... for Liverpool. So, two Liverpool wins from our experts today on the Transfer Window Podcast. It's time to close this particular edition. However, please continue the debate with us as we love to hear your input on what we've been talking about. Aurelio is at Aurelio Capaldi on Twitter. Duncan, as you all know, is at Duncan Castles. We have our own Transfer Window account which is at Transfer Podcast and I am at Garbo SG. If you like what you've been hearing, and we know thousands of you do, please return the favour and pop onto iTunes, give us a five-star review so that we can expand the community, expand the debate, and get more of you involved, as always. It's a very, very big night in Madrid on Saturday for English football, as we are talking about. Um, So we will return to you on Monday with the insight and analysis on the game, as well as, of course, More breaking news on the transfer window discussions. All we've got to say for now is thank you for listening and we will speak to you on Monday.